Welcome, everybody, to the Chinchilla Pickin' Podcast. It is January the 14th, 2024, at 2.04 p.m. As always, we hope to be entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. My name is David Underwood, and I am joined by the one and only Baron of Bonds, Brandon Beaver. Brandon, how are you, man? I'm just sitting here wondering how you're going to argue with me about numbers. <laughs> We're both looking at the same numbers for banks, and you're telling me that they beat? So so if, if you guys don't know what, what Brandon's talking about here, uh, since we're getting right into it, uh, we meet about usually five minutes before the show, and we we tell each other, this is what we're going to talk about, this is where I'm going to go with this, but we don't actually discuss anything. So he had told me what he was going to talk about and the direction he wanted to go with it, and I said, well, you're wrong already, we're going to have a disagreement about this. Um, and so, <laughs> and it was a statement about one particular company. So we'll, we'll get, the, we'll get there in time. We will get there in time, man. We'll get there in time. It's, it's been very cold. Been very, can we do a minute of fluff? Just one minute of fluff. Right. Blah, blah, blah. How about them Cowboys? <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's, that's how you feel. It's been very cold. It's been hitting a lot of things. Um, it's definitely uh, definitely hitting the energy bills of a lot of people. Uh, I've seen a lot of people have higher energy bills right now than usual. Um, so make sure you're checking your accounts. Make sure you check your battery in your cars if it doesn't start. Batteries don't last forever. They do eventually go out in your vehicles. So every now and then you do need to replace it. Make sure this is not the year for that. All right, Brandon, let's get to it. All since right. you really want to. <laughs> let's jump let's jump right into it. JP Morgan earnings. The bank's fourth quarter profit fell by 15% uh year over year to $9.3 billion. This was lower than analysts surveyed by FactSet and other analysts had expected. Earnings per share came in at $3.04. This was well under $3.35 estimated by FactSet. However, JP Morgan just notched its most profitable year on record. Revenue uh, is up 23% for the year to $158 billion in 2023. Profit grew by 32% for the year to $49.6 billion. And here's why they missed. If you're looking at the unadjusted earnings here, the FDIC spent about $23 billion last year to clean up the mess uh, that was Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank um, and their collapses. It was large banks that had to foot the bill. J.P. Morgan's profit was dragged lower by a one-time $2.9 billion charge. And uh, that's a charge that the bank had to pay related to the crisis. Now, without that payment, J.P. Morgan had its earnings, if you adjusted it to take that number out, Closer to $3.97 per share, which would have blown the estimates away. Now, the interesting fact about this, J.P. Morgan's spokesperson said that FactSet and other analyst estimates did not include that special fee in their forecast. I don't know why they didn't. Not hard to see that that was going to happen. I mean, we, we knew all year that that was going to be included. So, okay. Go ahead, Dave. Let, let me know when you're done. Let me know. No, I want, I want you to finish. Go ahead. Okay. So J.P. Morgan uh, spokesperson said that, to be clear, our net income was reduced by $0.74 cents per share because of the FDIC special assessment. Uh, that spokesperson in the email said Friday morning that they reported an earnings per share of $3.04 
which may initially look like a miss, but many analysts did not include that 74 cents per share or paid to the FDIC. JP Morgan scored 27% last year. This was the best of all banks in the United States. Go ahead, Dave. Thank you for that last statement there, that this was the best of all banks that have reported yet. Yes. From last year. Because you have PNC and Goldman Sachs reporting tomorrow. Uh, you have a number of other banks reporting next week as well. Um, so of, of the ones that reported ye uh, yet, yes, JP Morgan is the bell of the ball so far. Um, you're right. Their quarterly profits for Q4 fell 15% due to the DIF, um, which is, let me get the actual explanation here. It is the government's deposit insurance fund. Yeah. So all the banks that reported last week, they all combined to go ahead and put $8 billion to refill the government's deposit insurance fund, which took a $16 billion hit after Silicon Valley Bank and other lenders failed last year, right? Yeah. Let's go to JP Morgan. Um, so they did, uh, quarterly profits fell 15%, but, but like you said, they had a record annual profit, right? So how did they right. get the profit with the quarter, with just the Q4 falling so much, right? It's because they had a 19% jump in NII, that is net interest income. And net interest income, the definition is, the difference between what they earn from loans and what they pay to depositors because of the higher interest rates and the fact that JP Morgan at that time did not raise their rates to be competitive with Robinhood and all these other companies, they had a higher net interest income. And so they had a 19% jump in that net interest income, the amount of money they earned from these loans uh, versus what they pay to depositors. So that's the, basically their profit. That's what set those numbers higher. So JP Morgan had a record profit, even though they had a 15% loss in top line number revenue on uh, on the uh, Q4. Yeah, so it kind of makes me wonder how the analysts missed that. I counted that these banks had to pay that back. And yeah. I, I feel it's like it's it's a little unfair that you're making these banks pay that back. But I, uh, when, you know, they're not part of the signature uh, Valley Bank failure, but they did buy up some of these chunks of what the bank had left over. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that's the reason why they're making them pay some of this back because they bought up the pieces that uh, fell apart. Uh, and so since they only covered eight billion of the 16 billion, I'm interested to see what PNC and Goldman Sachs have to pay tomorrow on their earnings calls. And then because we saw the numbers from these banks on Friday come tomorrow, you should not expect good earnings from Goldman Sachs and PNC. So they should, in all theory, uh, actually not tomorrow. They, re they report Tuesday. Everything's closed tomorrow. I apologize. I apologize. They report Tuesday. Everything's closed tomorrow. So in theory, you should see on Tuesday morning, once pre-market trading is available, that Goldman Sachs and PNC drop, that they just they drop in share price. If they did not drop already on Friday, I don't have it up in front of me right now. Um, you should see a drop in those share price because the earnings expectations should be lowered. Now, if Goldman Sachs comes out and and says the same thing that uh, J.P. Morgan did, which is, hey, we did not uh, raise how much we we're paying our depositors, but we we just kept that extra interest uh, payments. That might be a good time to buy Goldman Sachs off of these good news.
Yeah, well, somebody's going to have to pay it. The Federal Reserve just recorded a $114 billion loss for the year. This is the second year that the Federal Reserve recorded a loss, um, which, by the way, I think every other year on record they've been profitable. But um, $114 billion loss in the Federal Reserve last year, mostly stemming from the banking crisis and that bailout. Right. And so this is what J.P. Morgan had to say about some of that. Uh, Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan's, uh, uh, he said that consumers were still spending and the markets were expecting a soft landing. But he warned the government spending could continue to push prices higher. So the government has to continue to spend to make up for that loss so they could continue to have money. And then they're just going to push this inflation higher. Basically, he's giving a warning. Hey, don't count the inflation out yet is what he's saying. Now, how much you actually believe in J.P. Morgan, I don't know, because sometimes he says stuff in order to move markets so he could get a better deal. He has come out in the uh, past recent years, and um, and he has uh, been uh, saying that uh, Bitcoin's a dog, Bitcoin's a dog, Bitcoin's a dog. And then every time Bitcoin drops, he goes, his company goes and buys some. So, I mean, <laughs> what, what's he what's he really trying to – now, we all know bankers have been doing this for years. Uh, Mad Money, Jim Cramer has uh, – Confess that he did this. He used to do this all the time. When he he says a banker. Yeah, he he said bankers have been doing this for all time. They'll go out there and move markets one way so they could get a better price and and do it. So is J.P. Morgan coming out saying, "Hey, look out! You know, we still may have inflation coming out." And should we believe him, or is he just trying to move markets? I don't know. I don't know. But Bank of America also paid two point one billion dollars uh, to the FDIC. Uh, they reported fourth quarter earnings of 35 cents per share. They said without that uh, one-time charge, it would have been 70 cents per share. Expectations were for 53 cents per share. So without the one-time charge, they would have beat. Um, Citigroup paid $1.7 billion to the FDIC. Uh, they reported an earnings loss of $1.16 per share. So this is the dog here. Um, that was way below the estimates of 11 cents per share. Uh, fourth quarter earnings would have been 84 cents per share without the one-time loss. So still, even for them, would have beat. Go ahead, Dave. couple things about Citigroup here. Now, they're not just the dog of the banks. They are the dog with fleas of the banks right now. All right? So they had a dismal quarter. Yeah. Um, $800, they had that million, $800 million loss in Argentina. That's exactly where I was going. Um, it stockpiled, they stockpiled their cash. They've been trying to do it to cover the currency risks in Argentina and Russia because they've taken losses and hits there. And that's where bad investment has hurt them. They are in the middle of a turnaround. They continued, they're continuing to cut jobs. They, uh, but they, are, they, they have plans to cut 20,000 more jobs over the next two years to become no, more nimble and quick. But that's not going to help them when you make bad investment risks in, in countries like Argentina and Russia. Yeah. Thank you, because that's where I was going with it. And the restructuring cost cost them $780 million just for that quarter alone. Well, that's because all the buyouts and severance packages you have to offer people to uh, kind of be fair and reasonable and have a heart, right? Okay. Yeah, so we got – I mean, you don't have to do that. We didn't even have an argument on it. Huh. We we did it to per se, but I mean, you started off with our back and forth before the show. Just so listeners listening, before the show, Brandon was a lot more harsh on J.P. Morgan in my turn and from my perception than he was here in, in in the actual recording of the show because I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! J.P. Morgan did actually very well, especially relative to all the other banks. Citigroup did awful. Yeah. So the that here's what you have to do if you get these initial earnings numbers. 
that, you know, come across the board. Don't react to them right away. Listen to the conference calls and get your information before you make any decisions based on it. Because, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan dropped initially because of this. Uh, Wells Fargo dropped, too, but they've got their own problems going on. I mean, they're right there with Citigroup as far as being a dog with fleas. Um, but if you would have just hold, held out and waited and wait for the information, maybe you would have bought more on that drop, actually. So, yeah, and this is what I'm talking about. You should be selling the news. You should already be owning the company, thinking that uh, if you believe in the company and, and the fundamentals, going into it, understand that they have to pay back this loan to the government, this money to the government, and in, uh, that that's going to be an issue. Now, one other thing I want to point about the banks to keep in mind, see if I can find this here. It's, I saved this because uh, I didn't know we we're going to go into the bank so much, but I already had this pulled up at one point, but I got to find the uh, – the actual number. So, so some of these other banks were having losses here. And uh, one of them went into details, like where all these losses are coming from, what is going to happen with it. And some of them was, uh, here it is, charge-offs. It was charge-offs at Bank of America. It was the biggest consumer bank in uh, in the nation here. Um, they, their charge-off rose to $1.2 billion from $930 million in the third quarter. And it was mainly from credit cards and office or commercial real estate. And that has been what I've been saying. It might bring down uh, some of these numbers and earnings for these banks is commercial and office real estate. The other thing to keep in mind too, is that we've got a potential of three interest rates cuts coming this year. Maybe some people are even saying that might start in March, which is wild to me, but um, that's going to be very tough comparables next year for the banks. Uh, given the high interest rates right now, and if we cut the interest rates, it's going to cut a little bit into their profits going into next year. So, well, all right. So, I I think you're reading my article list I had for you because I had the article about all the bank stuff as as one of the, my articles. Here's my other article. You ready? Yeah. Top Fed official warns against hasty rate cuts in this inflation fluctuations. I think <laughs> we're reading the same stuff, Brandon. But let me talk about this since you brought it up, right? Yeah. So this senior Federal Reserve, uh, uh, um. A uh, person uh, actually on record here is Raphael Bostic of the Atlantic Fed. Um, basically, he's saying that uh, policymakers decide to cut rates too hastily. This warning arrives amidst gradual declines towards the central bank's 2% target. He he goes on to say, uh, came uh, Bostic's comments came prior to December consumer price index reading, which showed the headline inflation inching up to 3.4 from 3.1 in November. So it inched up a little in December, first November. So that's not good. According to Bostic, while price pressures fell more quickly than anticipated, he still believes inflation will hover around 2.5% by the end of this year and only reach the Fed's target in 2025, which is why he's making the case that we can't start cutting rates just now. He's also noting that the disruptions in the shipping traffic in the Suez Canal due to the Houthis attacking vessels, they have led to nearly 150% increase in the cost of shipping a 40-foot container, which is going to add to inflation, yeah. which is why he's saying we can't start cutting now. He also reiterated that despite the current unemployment rates at 3.7%, the labor market is still strong enough that the Fed's focus should remain on inflation rather than job creation. We don't need to worry about job creation at 3.7% unemployment rate. That's most likely people retiring, people switching jobs, or a lot of other of these job cuts going in. In fact, there's a lot of reasons why you, you would be around the 3% mark. 
Um, so all these reasons is what Bossy is listing out here and saying, hey, we don't need to be doing a, a rate cut. I like to know that there's a person like this on the Fed. Even if uh, they vote against him, the fact that he's saying these things at least lets me know that they're taking everything into consideration. Brandon. Yeah, well, the, 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 the consensus on the Fed is that they can't do much about the price of shipping. That's the consensus, which I think is false because they can decrease the demand. Or I don't know that uh, decreasing the demand so much to bring down, you know, um, the shipping back to normal prices because of that is warranted. But at least to keep a lid on it is a good idea. And I do agree that, um, you know, March would definitely be way too early to raise interest interest rates. That is that is George W. Bush in front of the victory flag um, in Iraq. That that is what that is to me. That is. Uh, um, not trying to be political, but uh, it, it is it's too early to be waving the victory flag on that. And that's, you know, um, Powell said that's not what he's doing, but it certainly seems like it is. It's, it seems it seems like to me that Powell is playing politics here. Yeah. And I don't like it because you're playing politics with my money and my investments and the U.S. economy. And that's not what your job is meant to be doing. Right. Um, so I disagree with that. I like the fact that Bostic's out here saying this point of giving these other point of views. And we need to really put out those other point of views and say, hey, slow down. Take mm -hmm. your time. Make sure what you're doing is correct. Now, I trust that the Federal Reserve has smarter people than me and, and you, Brandon, working for them that are crunching through these numbers and giving them everything they need to get. But I, I really hope they're listening to all the numbers and letting the yeah. numbers and the data tell you what to do and not the politics. I do too. And now here's another um, group of people that I want to slow down a little bit. And that's the CEOs of companies that are now, I think, getting a little bit ahead of themselves and starting to announce all these deals uh, because they expect interest rates to come down. Um, BlackRock is now buying infrastructure firm um, Global Infrastructure Partners for $12.5 billion. That's been announced. Which gives... Oh, go ahead. We got a... Mega IPO in the works of Xi'an, which is a Chinese um, uh, fashion company. Hewlett Packard just announced that they're going to strike a deal for Juniper Networks, which I'm going to get into here in a minute. Uh, it looks like, you know, deal making. No Norvitus is in advance talks to buy Cytokinetics. So we've got, like, you know, after a year of, of uh, silence on M&A, Decent amount of companies here coming out and announcing that um, that they're going to make a deal. Synopsis and Anasis, I'm not, I might not be pronouncing that correctly. Thirty-five billion dollar deal there coming as soon as next week. Uh, a lot, a lot has hit the news and the MMA activity just in the past couple of weeks since uh, since the Federal Reserve signaled a few rate cuts coming and maybe maybe slow down on that a little bit because the future is a little bit in question right now. All right. So I want, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, there's a lot of deals. I, I don't know if we should slow down because BlackRock has the money to, to, to spare. So I want to take these as a case by case basis. Let's go back to the BlackRock deal you're talking about. And it's with global infrastructure partners, yeah. $12.5 billion deal. It's 3 million in cash and 12 million in BlackRock shares. That's that's what they're going to put into this deal. So uh, GIP people are going to get a lot of uh, a lot of shares here. But once it closes, it's basically it's uh, they're going to hold uh, BlackRock is going to have a lot of U.S. liquefied natural gas export market. So I don't know if that was the point, but they're also going to have um, 
wastewater services in France, uh, and actual air, parts of airport, the Gatwick Airport in London, England. Uh, they're going to have a part of that, and they're going to have a uh, a big, huge. Uh, where is it at here? It is the Port of Melbourne. The Port of Melbourne, Australia, is going to be BlackRock owned. Oh, wow. So, to me, that's that's really important. Is that they're making a big jump here into shipping. And uh, it, it, and and to me, the liquefied natural gas export is a I don't know. Are they trying to like get into shipping natural gas over to Europe? Since there's a move here in the United States to get away from natural gas, but Europe still depends upon it, and they can't get it from Russia. Is BlackRock trying to ship it to Europe? Is my oh, yeah, is, I'm sure. I guess. I'm Go sure. ahead. I'm, I'm absolutely sure. I'm absolutely yeah, it's, sure. But it just seems like some of these companies are thinking, oh, three rate cuts. Here comes the free money party again. And we're, but we're the, not exactly the, there yet. But that's if you're doing off of loans. And that's why I said you got to take yeah. these on the case by case. I brought BlackRock up because they're not using the loan. It's cash. Yeah, it's cash true. and stock. Yeah, so there's true. no loan. So they don't need that. They don't care about the interest rate when there is no loan. I mean, they care about the market price. So if the, if the stock market falls, then, you know. But I, I think the bet here is three interest rate cuts means huge bullish year for the S&P 500. Does it, though? Not necessarily, but I think that's what the bet is. See, you, you and I are thinking back to 2008, 2009, when they started cutting rates, and then everybody was cheering it, and they put the market in a nice, fantastic mood, and you saw that big V in the stock market, and we remember those great times. Um, I don't know if interest rate cuts have the same effect as it did during that year, like to that extreme. Um, I believe that, yeah, it's it, it's it's designed to loosen money so that it can help the broader market. That's what it's designed to do, but I don't know if we're going to have that V shape that we saw back then. No, I don't think so either. I mean, this year might be okay, but we'll see. We'll find out. Well, how is January going? Because remember, I said the January perimeter. How is January? Okay, well, so let's – just because something has happened in the past and followed a certain pattern in the past doesn't mean that it's going to continue in the future, but it's, it's a good indicator. 80, over eighty six percent of the time, wasn't it? Wasn't that the stat that I read? I, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good perimeter. <laughs> that's pretty accurate, man. Pretty accurate. Um. So I mean, when I, when I look at that, I mean, January's not over with, so we don't know how it's going to end. But I mean, right now it's kind of mixed. So are we going to have a mixed year? You have to be selective about what you invest in. Always. Yeah, you should always be that way. You should always be that way. There's a great article on this uh, website called chinchillapicking.com, and uh, it's about how to value a company. (laughs) Yes, written by me. And I do want to say this real quick. I actually didn't read any of the articles you were talking about. I was just going off my macroeconomic knowledge based (laughs) on what should happen off of the things that I've learned from reading and, you know, college classes and things like that. But uh, uh, Texas-based – We'll just get we'll just get right into the HP. Hewlett Packard Enterprise is buying Juniper Networks. Uh, it's going to be forty dollars a share. And I want let's clarify this: if you're looking at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, that's HPE rather than HP. The two companies split back in uh, 2015. Um, HP is the printer and computer company. HPE is the cloud company. Uh, this is a $14 billion deal to buy Juniper Networks. Um, and this is kind of a big bet on networking and artificial intelligence. The company has unveiled the transaction late on Tuesday, according to the Wall Street Journal. 
uh, and they said that the deal was close to being closed. Uh, Texas-based HPE, I don't know how, you know, if that's a very subjective term. Sometimes they say this and it's a year, you know, down the road before they close the deal, but we'll find out, um, I guess, in the future here. Got a little pop-up here blocking my notes. Okay. Uh, Texas-based uh, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise um, will pay that, like I said, $40 in cash for Juniper. This is a 32% premium to where the stock was trading before the report. Right now, we're at about 6% lower than that $40 per share on Juniper. So, I mean, if you want to jump in and, and try to get that 6% before the year's over, I, I, I will not uh, blame you for that. But HPE, they're a cloud services provider. And their customers range from small businesses to large corporations and governments. Um, they're now based, uh, uh, Juniper is based in Sunnyvale, California. They sell communications, network services, and equipment like routers and switches to technology and communications and financial uh, customers. Now, here's the interesting thing about this, because we covered a acquisition that was very similar to this in the past. And I think that this is a response to it. Cisco bought Splunk, right? So back in September, we talked about this on a previous show. Cisco had announced their acquisition of Splunk. Splunk provides security information and event management um, and, and their data management company. And they've grown substantially just over other areas of cyber uh, security um, and um, financials. Cisco is known for hardware and routers. Splunk is known for cloud data. HPE is known for cloud data, okay? Um, Juniper is known for hardware and routers. So I think Hewlett-Packard was looking at Cisco buying Splunk, and they're like, oh, wow, now Cisco's a competitor, and now they've got hardware and switches and routers uh, combined with Splunk, which is cloud data. We need to go ahead and buy a company that's known for you know, their routers and switches so that we can stay competitive with Cisco in both areas. Um, Cisco's acquisition of Splunk made Cisco a competitor in the cloud data realm to Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. Hewlett-Packard Enterprise's acquisition of Juniper, I think, is an answer to Cisco's acquisition of Splunk. Now, with that being said, I said, you know, I'm okay with you buying uh, Juniper. I don't think that there's going to be any any reason for anybody to jump up and say that this is, you know, there's mon monopolistic kind of concerns or anything like that. Uh, I'm not buying HPE, though. Hewlett-Packard Enterprises cloud uh, area, first of all, they're competing with Cisco now to, in my opinion, be not the number one company in cloud, maybe number three, number four. Um, and Hewlett-Packard Enterprise has had to consistently make acquisitions in order to stay competitive in this area. That's not good for shareholder value. They're spending shareholder money to buy these other companies to stay competitive in this industry. I don't like Hewlett-Packard. Uh, if you bought it five years ago after the split, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, uh, that is, you only made 15%. You way underperformed the market. Um, so I, I I don't care for Hewlett Packard, but if you want to get into you know Juniper and try to make a six percent over over you know six months, twelve months or whatever it's going to be, I uh, I don't have a problem with that.
I'm glad you don't have a problem with that. I'm not buying any of these companies you just named. Um, <laughs> if I'm going to go in the cloud, I'm going to go into Microsoft. I'm going to go into Google. I'm going to go to Amazon Web Services. Yeah. I'm not going in any of these companies. Yeah, I agree. They're, 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 what they're doing is they're trying to make these acquisitions. Now, Cisco, I think, might be actually better positioned. But they're trying to make these acquisitions in order to grow to the size of Amazon and Microsoft, which have been able to do it. They've done it through some acquisitions, but they've mostly been able to do it organically. And that's not been possible for Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Um, so if they're continuously having to spend money, eat into their profits to buy other companies just to you know stay competitive, that's not a good thing. Just let me know when Cisco reports earnings like a shorter stock ahead of it. <laughs> I, you know what? I think Cisco in, in the next two years, I think the Cisco and and um, Splunk deal is actually going to be um, net positive for earnings. But you know, maybe not. Uh, maybe not within the next twelve to twenty four months. It, it doesn't matter if they have positive earnings. I, I they they consistently uh, drop right after earnings this every single time. This is true. I yeah, it's yeah. There you go. Uh, what else you got, man? That's everything. That's everything, really. That's we just got, burned yeah. through with it. Yeah, we just burned right through it, didn't we? And and, and you killed me on um on the uh, uh my my articles. I only got one article left, man. If you're hey, ready I for it, I I took twenty five minutes, according to my timer hey. here. All right, well let's let's do my one article I got left. <laughs> <laughs> Since you you just destroyed my other articles, um, this one is on Bloomberg. Uh, Bloomberg.com. The headline reads, Apple to shutter 121-person San Diego AI team in reorganization. This article was written by Mark Gurman on January 13th at 11.03 p.m. Man, he's staying up late. Um, so basically, Apple, Apple is uh, shutting down their 121-person team related to artificial intelligence operations. Uh, they're actually moving it, and they're going to merge uh, with a Texas portion, the Austin, Texas portion of the same team. The reason why this really just jumped out to me is that uh, a lot of tech companies are moving to Austin, Texas. And this seems to be a new hub um, away from uh, the, the tech sector out, out of uh, outside of San Francisco and other areas, but the group also has offices in China, India, Ireland, and Spain. Uh, they're all responsible for improving Siri by listening to queries to the voice service and determine if it heard and handled questions accurately. Um, so they just closed the San Diego one for now, but they are planning to go ahead and try to consolidate a little bit more and get the biggest hub to be in Austin, Texas. Apple currently has 161,000 employees as of September um, and mostly managed to avoid layoffs since the pandemic in contrast to its peers who have drastically cut in order to uh, maintain uh, these profit ratings. Your thoughts, Brandon? Well, I wish that uh, Amazon would do something with Alexa because my Alexa is an idiot. <laughs> sorry, if I, sorry if I just set off everybody's Alexa devices three times just there but uh yeah i you know what i think that there's kind of a i wouldn't say a panic but there's there's a lot of competition now going into these ai services that's making companies trying to you know get their stuff together and try to figure out how they're going to be the leader in this area with so much other competition coming into it and 
it's causing you know companies even like Apple to say, hey, maybe we need to restructure in order to get on the right foot and to stay at, you know ahead to where we're at right now. Um, there's a lot of competition coming up. The market's starting to get a little bit more saturated, and they want to keep their market share. So, you know, you're saying that competition is breeding innovation? Yes, and efficiency. Yes, yes, I it mean, is. You and can't say that to the, to the 121 people that lost their jobs. It sucks for them. It does, but, yes. But for the overall of society. It, it, they're going to make a, a faster, better product for the rest of us, yes. Yeah. All right, fair enough. All right, let's get into what I have to do. Uh, it's a follow-up story on uh, the crypto and Bitcoin uh, announcement that I covered last week and about how it was going to come out this week. What happened? So they announced it. They put it out there. Um, Kathy Wood's ARK Fund was the first one to be able to go ahead and buy shares in the ETF. Brandon, did you buy shares in that ETF no. this week? No. You did not? Really? No. If what? I buy anything, if I ever buy anything with Kathy Wood's name on it, send me help. I don't know. We were singing her praises back uh, when we first started this podcast because her uh, innovation fund was on the way up. I don't think I was. Here's the thing. I was singing her praises. Yeah, okay, I was so, singing her praises. You know, she's a very smart woman. She's a very smart woman. She's good at what she does. Her investing style is just not my investing style. It's not the same thing. I, I just have a different mindset about the market. So I'm not really insulting her when I say that. I'm just saying it would be really out of character for me to buy anything that she buys. I, I got you. I got you. I got you. Um, I think she made a mistake by holding some too long after the big run up and not taking some profits and sitting on some cash. Yeah. That's where she went wrong. But anyways, her one was the first one that had the Bitcoin ETF and it went out last week. But the actual price of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies fell last week for the most part. And, and so you may be saying, OK, this is a sign that this stuff's not going to work out. Well, again. This is this is this is a a, a long term moving thing. Bitcoin is going to be up based on where it was on January first and where it's going to be on December thirty first. That's what I've said when we first started this this year on our two podcasts we've had already, and I maintain that position. So for that perspective of a year long or even longer goal of uh, the cryptocurrencies, you know, I'm not looking at these couple day drop as anything spectacular. I'm not running for the hills. Um, I still own my my Bitcoin, but I am looking at opportunities here in the cryptocurrency world. So looking at these opportunities, you could go in there. Solana had a big run up last year. I think we've missed a boat on Solana. It's already ran up. I mean, you could buy it if you believe in it long term. However, it just surpassed Ripple. And that's something I believe actually has long term value. Uh, the SWIFT banking system is something you may have heard of if you follow any kind of um, stock investment program at one time or another. For many, many years, the SWIFT banking system was the way that banks, corporations, people, uh, countries move money from one country to another. And it usually took uh, just a, it took some time to do. Ripple, however, can, can do the same thing with just a matter of four seconds. Uh, the, the reason why there's numbers, a couple of reasons why Ripple price has not gone up. Number one, there has been uh, multiple lawsuits by the SEC, which Ripple has been winning almost every single one of them. Ripple has won all the lawsuits and it is not a security. So it's not defined as a security. So it can't be uh, under the SEC guidelines. It's a, a way to move money around the world. Um, 
And uh, secondly, uh, because of those litigations, Ripple has not been fully utilized by countries. However, South America has come out saying that they are fully excited to go ahead and start using Ripple more often for transactions. So if I'm going to be looking at anyone to get a great return on money, it would be Ripple. Now, however, I say that in that there are still a couple open <laughs> SEC lawsuits, uh, two of them, that could have a huge effect on Ripple if Ripple doesn't win those last two as well, and that could drive the price way down. So this is a very risky, very speculative um, trade if you want to make it. It could pay off huge to the moon numbers, or it could be your money going down to zero. Um, it all depends on these lawsuits with the SEC. And this, I'm afraid, is just how the cryptocurrency world still works, which is crazy to me considering how many companies have continually uh, utilized uh, Bitcoin or blockchain technology. Maybe you didn't know they were using bit, uh, cryptocurrencies, but they were using blockchain technology, which involves cryptocurrencies such as Solana and Polygon, and, and you have to have those on hand in order to use it. Uh, another way, uh, the way that Ripple would go up in value is if banks take it on, start using it for these international transactions. That means banks have to hold so much of it, and if if companies and banks and people hold Ripple, the price of it goes way up fast. That's how it works. So if Ripple wins these last lawsuits, it's to the moon because countries will start using it because it's faster, quicker, cleaner than the Swift banking system. Brandon, thoughts on yeah, thoughts on? Well, I just have a little thought. The fact of the matter is, is that it cracks me up every time that the big banks and, and governments and such they make the argument against cryptocurrency and say that it's not secure, but then they take the technology from it to secure themselves. <laughs> I know exactly what they what they want is they want to own it, and they can't own it, and that's the best part yeah. about these cryptocurrencies. But Ripple, they actually. Can because it's it's a uh, company that they are eventually going to IPO at some point, um, so uh, the banks will be able to own it at some point. So I I again that's more positive to me that if the banks could get a big chunk of it, then why wouldn't they want it to work out and go public well, if if they can own it? And so to me, Ripple has the most positive outlook for uh, for big returns. But the problem is these last two lawsuits with the SEC. If they win those, it's to the moon, off to the races. If they don't, eh. yeah. now it's a rip. Yeah. So I mean, you you have a big risk there, very big risk. Uh, so I would not put any money in that you can't see go down to zero. <laughs> that would be the only caveat I would say to that. Don't put any money in that you can't see go down to zero. Yeah, just like you're going to, to the casino, don't take money with you that you won't miss. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I but cryptocurrencies, yeah, but as far as Bitcoin and uh, these Bitcoin ETFs, I think the Bitcoin ETFs and Bitcoin are going to do very well this year. I see Bitcoin going up by the end of the year. It's going to be higher than where it's at now. So, yes, I see Bitcoin as a buy uh, for the 12 months of 2024. Um, I don't see anything really uh, too much affecting that unless there's some global uh, world war or something, then that, that might affect it. So could it could it be that Jamie Dimon is only disagreeing with you publicly to keep the the value of Bitcoin down while he increases his position in it? And well, I mean, he, he's done that. that before. He's done that before in the past, but like I haven't heard him say anything negative about Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency in a couple in a number of months. 
Yeah, well, maybe he's uh, he's put his position in. I don't know, but once once yeah. the, once the guys like that, once they get fully invested, then all of a sudden they're bullish. Yeah, now now all of a sudden they like it. Like BlackRock is a big fan of Bitcoin now, whereas a couple of years ago they were just saying Bitcoin's stupid and we're not going to use Bitcoin. That's for the peasants. But now BlackRock, Larry Fink's on doing an interview saying, "Yeah, we have a Bitcoin ETF and we have this ETF and we're looking to move into cryptocurrencies." And uh, he was even asked about Ripple and he said, "You know, Ripple is one of the options that we are looking into." But he did not say yay or nay on it at at this time. So. But if BlackRock puts their money behind Ripple, then whoo, that's gonna that's gonna send it higher. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's just I don't put more, too much stock into what these people are saying on on uh, TV. Uh, you you have to kind of sort through the crap. <laughs> that is that is definitely one way to put it. That's yeah. definitely one way to put it. All right, Brandon, I want you to give me your final thoughts because I have some final thoughts, but you always go first, so go ahead. Well, I want to say how about them boys, but, you know, this is going to uh, post tomorrow, so. <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't have to worry about it. They're going to win. How about them Cowboys? Oh, man. All right. Fair enough. All right, so here's what I'm looking at going into this week. Um, on uh, Tuesday, tu I got the day right now, Tuesday, you have Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and PNC reporting. That's definitely a big one. On Wednesday, you have Charles Schwab, Citizens Financial, Discover Financial, U.S. Bank reporting. A lot of banks this week. On Thursday, F&B Corp reporting. First Horizon Bank, Home Bank Shares reporting. Key Corp, M&T Bank. Basically, my point I'm making is you still have more banks reporting this week. The thing to look for is how many of them and how much are they paying into this fund now that everybody's made aware that they all have to pay into this fund. How is it going to affect all these banks? That's definitely one thing I'm going to be looking at, especially the regional ones that report, such as Huntington, Fifth Third, Ally, PNC. Those are going to be reporting. Outside of the banks, one I'm looking at this week, and it's not so much as their earnings, it's going to be their guidance and, and any kind of news related to them, is J.B. Hunt. J.B. Hunt is going to be reporting on Thursday. I'm very interested to see what they say about the transportation sector right now at this time and if they've halted all of their um, autonomous vehicle um, transportations or just in certain sectors. And then at the end of the week on Friday, Schlumberger is the one I'm going to be watching. I want to see how the uh, the oil services company is uh, really handling everything, if they're seeing a drop in in uh, contracts and what's going on in the oil services. So that's some insights of what I have looking up on the week. Um, cryptocurrency is always top of my mind. Um, but, yes, if you have any questions, reach out to us. DM us, uh, go on to uh, chinchillapicking.com and look at that article from Brandon's, a great article. We have a very basic website. There's not much to it, but there is a great article on there that I recommend you read. Um, if you have any other questions, let me know. Um, as always, we hope that we have been entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. Have a good night. Have a good night.